This is Living Proof Radio, May 2024. All of our full episodes are available on our Patreon with weekly drops, a Patreon-only radio show, and Living Proof magazine delivered to your house every issue, as well as our entire members-only library backlog. Patreon.com slash York. Cool, we're live. Um, right. Yo, thank you so much once again for giving us your time and coming over here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we were actually watching a bunch of the New York videos before you came on here, oh, no way. like a few, a few hours ago, and we were just tripping out because um, that time period in that era was um, honestly so influential on so many planes, like not just skating, but also in art, in music, in graffiti, in just everything that a lot of the people who listen to this show are into, a lot of the things that influenced us growing up. It's just like that era was it. It, it did it for, you know, for so many people, gave so many people passion and, and a life to live, right? And I was looking at the footage, a lot of the footage of the banks and stuff, and I was thinking what it would have been like had you not been there filming it who would have filmed it maybe maybe nobody maybe someone else but maybe nobody a lot of it was filmed by you and a lot of the iconic tricks and style of that time period even the way that it was edited with all this music and stuff like it was just seems like it gives you that era in like a in a video and you just feel it so my question was like when you were living that era did it feel like you were living something significant? Did it feel like you were living like the one of the time periods? Um, it didn't feel like it was going to be, you know, the time period, but it felt like the place to be at the time of being. You know, I didn't realize it was going to be such a historical era. You know, like I always looked up to like the era right before then, you know, like the girl and chocolate mm -hmm. and like Plan B World Industries days. And then when we came... It was definitely like, I thought it was the funnest place to skate. It was just, and everything with music and art all in one, in one city. Yeah, it's where I wanted to be. I gravitated towards it, but I didn't think it was going to be like the golden era. Everybody has their golden era. Mm -hmm. You know, I think even the older people before me would say that their best time in their life was their golden era. And it's really humbling to see like all, you know, the younger generation like you guys really still embodying that, mm -hmm. that time period that we were a part of. And I was just in the right place at the right time. And it's definitely where I wanted to be. You know, it was either New York or Los Angeles for me coming from Houston, Texas. And then I visited both places. I thought the skating was actually better in Los Angeles. There were like more technical skaters there, but there was something about the city that I gravitated towards and like just the style of the way, the way that people dressed, the music that was coming out here at the time. I, I was a big fan of New York City hip hop, like, you know, mid nineties and everywhere you went, it was just like, yeah, the best music and best style and the, the raddest skaters that didn't have anyone filming them mm -hmm. and i think if i wasn't here filming these guys it would be like a local like one of the skaters that is in the crew already that had a video camera like mm -hmm. keith Huffnagel had a video camera um alex corporan had a video camera there were a lot of skaters that were in the crew and you had to be like in the crew in order to roll to roll with those guys they, i i heard that there were a couple other people that tried to film them before and they just kind of like felt them out and like weren't feeling them and you know didn't really like take on to them like like I was taken in yeah like you were essentially just a part of you were a part of them they didn't look at you as any different you were just, just your homies I mean because I was a skater too you know yeah. I was a sponsored skater at the time and there weren't a lot of media outlets back then and in high school before I even came here to go to college I was already filming for 411 video magazine I was already 
contributing stuff to Transworld Skateboarding, which were the two best media outlets for video, in my opinion, back then. And um, no one was, all the best filmers on the East Coast were either in Philadelphia or like DC. I, I don't think New York had like a good, a good filmer. So the good filmers in those areas, mainly Dan Wolf is who I'm thinking of. He was the only other guy really filming good, like on my level back then, I think. Him and I like were ended up meeting and I gave him a lot of my footage for Eastern Exposure 3, which was like one of my first videos to be a part of that I was like, you know, stoked to have my name in. And, and that's like an East Coast milestone right there. So when you came to New York, how did you get involved with the, the zoo dudes? Because, you know, there's like that was the company and the one that everybody wanted to be a part of. And you came here, you moved you from Texas and then all of a sudden you're filming with them. How did that come to be? And you were using a VX, right? I was using the VX3. Yeah, it was before the VX1000 was out. It was the Hi8 version of the VX1000. Okay. And uh, I actually wasn't using that when I first moved to New York. When I first visited New York, it was uh, my junior year of high school. And uh, I ended up making a video with this Sony Hi8 camera. It was the TR81, a one-chip camera. Had that camera, two VCRs and a Walkman, and just kind of like made a local scene video that... Uh, South Shore Distribution ended up selling like a lot of copies of. And I made enough money selling that video to buy my first VX3. Oh, shit. But before that, I was filming for 411 with the TR81. And I made a Houston Metrospective in issue number like six, five or six, one of the first 411 video magazines. And Ricky Oyola saw that, saw the scene video I did on Houston thought like Houston's a rad place to skate. I want to go down there. What's up? Let me hit up South Shore Distribution and see what's up because they sell Zoo York. And uh, they linked him up with Anthony Correa, who we kind of knew from New Jersey, but he lived in Texas at the time. And he stayed with Anthony and we skate. We fil he filmed a little part in that video that I sold copies of at South Shore. He has like the second to last part. And uh, he put Anthony Correa on flow for Zoo York. We were sponsored by this company out of New York, out of New Jersey called Screw Skateboards that we went and like hung out at uh, in Howell, New Jersey, which is right in between Philadelphia and New York City. So one day we'd go to Philly, the next day we'd go to to um, come skate the city. And uh, what was I saying? Yeah, like Ricky. Yeah, we were friends with Ricky. He put Anthony on flow. I we visited. Then I ended up like falling in love with the city, and I had an offer to either go to NYU or USC mm -hmm. to study film. And uh, I didn't think I was going to study film at all. This was all like senior year like going into senior year of high school after i spent the junior the summer of my junior year skating in philadelphia new york and uh i thought i was going to just follow in my parents footsteps and be a mathematician be an actuary and make a lot of money doing something i didn't really want to do and they knew that i was making these videos and they're like why don't you try film school and i was like really i, I didn't know that was an, an option i got into nyu and i had an, an offer to go to usc but usc's program was only the last two years where NYU was a four-year program. And I was mm -hmm. like, I want to study film the whole time. I don't want to like study s stuff for the first two years that I don't care about, even though I'll be in sunny California. I'll be psyched to skate, you know? And I remember being a sponsored skater thinking like, I don't know if I want to go to school. Maybe I'll take a year off and like just skate and see where my sponsored skating takes me. And my parents sat me down and they're just like, you know what? If you take one year off, you're going to want to take two years off. And then you're like, that momentum to go to school and get it over with will be gone. And that was an eye opener for me. I was like, you're right. And I have like an opportunity. They're going to pay for me to go to school. I should take advantage of this. And I got into NYU and uh, 
decided that's where I wanted to go. And I was already filming for 4-in-1. So when I came out to NYU, I was like already in, like skating with some of the zoo guys. So I'm like, oh, that's RB. He films for 4-in-1. Let's, let's get some tricks for the video. I met Harold. I met Jeff Pang. I met the whole crew. And we, we were just kind of like skating. And I would like, they knew I was from Texas, but I was friends with Lenny Kirk, who was living here at the time. And uh, he gave me like an in to the crew also. And uh, we filmed like some crazy shit back then, Lenny and I. He was like on a rampage. And uh, after then, Anthony Korea came to visit that next summer. And we were like going to the zoo office because he was like getting bored from them. So we wanted to meet them. And then they knew who I was. And they're like, we always wanted like to put together a video, but we never like had a, like a designated filmer. And I jumped, I jumped to the opportunity. I was like, we're getting all this footage anyway that I'm going to give to Transworld or 4 and one if you guys want to like start filming. So we filmed for another year after that. And Eli Gesner already had a lot of Stretch Armstrong and Bobita freestyle footage that was legendary at the time. I had like heard stories about this footage he had of like Ghostface with incarcerated Scarface lyrics writ written down on a crumbled piece of paper. And I was like, there's no way that really exists. And then when I, I saw the footage and we put it all together in the mixtape video, it was just like... Yeah, I couldn't believe I was getting the opportunity to put my footage with that other historic stuff that I was a huge fan of. Were, then, you, were you in NYU while filming for that video? It's funny. I was in NYU, yeah, filming for that video. I got an independent study credit my second year, which I realized was a big waste of money. Like, I, I should have been taking classes, but I got a credit for making the mixtape video. And because I'm filming, like, the guys that are in kids, that are in my, my student films, too, people in my class are just tripping out. They're like, how are you getting these, like real actors to like be in your student films. I'm like, they're just friends of mine. I kind of, we just hang out at Astor Place all day. You'll see us like walk by. We're there every night. What an, what an insane video because uh, <laughs> like we were watching that and like, like that dude who's rapping, um, Keith Nutt, <laughs> he puts his like hat down to the side and yeah. he starts like, he starts like doing this and he starts talking about like tying people up with jump ropes and how he's a savage and like the skating <laughs> is just perfect. It's like, it seems like they're supposed to go together. Um, That's funny was, you think that. What was like some of the inspiration uh, for like making that video the way that it was? Because to me, that was like a very, very original video. When I see that, I'm like, yo, that's like, this is yeah, like I mean, its our, own thing. Yeah, our inspiration was we had the music, we had the skating. How can we fit this big puzzle together? So at first we laid down the soundtrack. We're like, okay, we like this guy, to, like Jeff could have the first part. It could go to this song. And then we got one of the sickest DJs, DJ Ani Schempf. He was in D-Light at the time. He, like, scored the soundtrack. So we started, like, putting the the video down over that soundtrack. And this was one of the first times I used a nonlinear editing system. It was Media 100 at the time was, like, the editing program. And getting access to that facility that we were able to edit this in was a game changer for me. And uh, we were get like, they were editing a lot of famous music videos there at the time. Most Def and Q-Tip were doing a body rock, the body rock video there. And it was some little, like, some dude's apartment in his basement in Brooklyn. You know, he had the setup and uh, all the tape equipment, like, huge tape decks. And, yeah, the inspiration was just, yeah. it kind of just happened organically. Like, we knew we had the footage. How can we put it together? Let's score the soundtrack. That'll be, like, the base. And then let's, like, lay down the footage all on top of that. When I never, like, nonlinear editing where you could just put down the music and do that. What is, what is linear and non-linear? Linear editing is like you got to start in the beginning and then work your way to the end. And like you just kind of like go in one line. This is like you have the whole soundtrack. I can put, I know this stuff's going to go in the end, this stuff can go in the beginning and this in the middle and sprinkle it all throughout. 
like that whole style of editing what didn't even it, it existed but it wasn't accessible it was like five thousand dollars for a 30 grand for a 30 gigabyte hard drive it was like wow so much money and now you almost do that on iMovie now I have more way more than that in my pocket <laughs> yeah, for a fraction of the price exactly. you know, it's crazy I wanted to ask you um so let's say when you were 17 18 just visiting New York for the first time you know in your youth you knew about you know the New York scene whether it be through magazines through like the form of social media that existed I, there was no then. social media but I was a skate nerd like yeah. I, I read all the magazines watched all the videos there like, was ways to see yeah. what's going on across yeah, the, was, the coast essentially yeah so let's when you came to New York for the first time not only you know seeing this firsthand but actually working for that company that you I don't know, like, I would say idolize, like any normal kid would, essentially, you know? Yeah. Did you feel, like, a huge responsibility or weight that, you know, you were chosen to essentially be the videographer and, like, have this role to present and to show the public what they, you know, how they're portrayed? Like, did you almost feel like that was a nine-to-five, like, to the point no. where you stayed up all night? Like, Not at all, but I had the passion, I, and I did it. I stayed up longer than nine-to-five, and I did it for, like, no money. I did it because I wanted to do it. I did it because... <laughs> I was excited to see my name listed as a main videographer in the new 411. And people that watched that like knew like, oh, Arby's a main videographer. They see me on the streets, they want to film with me. There weren't, not everybody had a video camera. And I didn't see it as a weight, I saw it as an opportunity. I saw it as like, these, I can't believe these guys want to film with me. Like, I've never met Keith Huffnagel before, but he's coming back to New York, he lives in San Francisco, and he's hitting me up and he wants to meet me to go film with him and Quim Cardona, are you kidding? Like, those are my favorite skaters. Like. Yeah, it, w it wasn't a nine to five, but it was like they would show up at 11 and I'd be ready at nine, like excited, like, let's go, like, let's go all day. Shit. Like, yeah, I skated all over the city with my big bag with like little hard wheels back then. I didn't even because I skated, too. So I, like I didn't get lazy with the cruiser wheels yet. Now I'm like <laughs> and it was all just it was mainly just in Manhattan, right? Yeah, we would occasionally go to Brooklyn or come out here to Queens. But honestly, everything was, yeah, lower Manhattan. We wouldn't even go above like, you know into Harlem or anything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really crazy, right? Because I was listening to one of the interviews you had or, or reading one of the ones you had, and you talked about how, like, 96, 97, things weren't skate stopped. And even during a time period before cell phones when people would use pagers, you would... Uh, you could you'd have to go out and see what people are doing to actually see what people are doing yeah. rather than see it on your phone and you already know what tricks were done and who's skating where today just by lurking on your phone i don't need to go downtown i can just see oh who's at tompkins who was at this like who did that what obstacle is there today to skate i can see it through my phone and you said how back then it was more of like a your daily routine was like pure it was like an organic time period um, can you explain a little bit about that? Like what was, I want to know, like, what was your daily routine when you were filming for these or even just living in that time period? I remember my, yeah, my daily routine would normally be cause I was going to school at the time. So I would take classes, but I would make my schedule to where like, I would do like two days of like classes all day and then have like one day of like mellow classes and then like two days off. And then, so like the days that I had classes, I would, you know, ma ma mostly do school. But then if I had a break, I would go right to Astor Place. And I was living at a dorm in Washington Square Park. So I was like, oh, I'm chilling. I can go skate some flat and see who's up and just hang out. But then the days that I would go f like really filming. Yeah, we would like make plans. I would page some people. They would call up my college dorm. I'm like, okay, yeah, we're going to meet at Supreme at, at whatever time. And if you were there, cool. I, w I was always the first one there. 
and then like waited like an hour or two for people to show up. Then we're skating flat. Finally, people are ready to go because skaters are coming all the way in from Far Rockaway to Brooklyn, like, and we'd all meet at the shop. And then a lot of people would leave their stuff there, and we'd just go skate down to the banks. Or if you were late, they'd be like, "Oh, they, everybody just left." Like if someone would just show up at the shop and everyone's gone, like, "Where is everyone?" They went down to the banks. Meet us at the banks. If they're not at the banks, someone else is at the banks, and they saw us, and they're like, "Oh." And we'll go to Seaport. We'll go to Pyramid Ledges. Like, just do the rounds downtown. And then by around, like, 6.30, like, we'd start making our way back to the shop before they closed. And uh, that's when everyone would grab their stuff and we'd hang out, you know, hang out at the shop after they closed for a little bit. Then we'd go up to Astor Place. And that's, you know, the sun would go down. We'd just kind of skate flat there, hang out. Then we'd maybe go to Union Square or back to Astor. And we'd just, like, film flat ground lines either at Union Square or Astor Place. There might be a party or, or something to go to. We'll go to that. Go back to Aster. If nothing has happened, nothing's happening. There'd be some people that are down to go skate Midtown. So like, get on the train, go to Midtown, get just make the rounds around there. Sometimes we'd go downtown or just, but we always end up right back at Aster Place. Mm-hmm. And then I live two blocks away, so I'm going home after that, like till you know, real late in the night, and do the damn thing all over again the next day. Why do you think people uh, gravitated towards Aster when there's like not that much to skate there? It's just like curbs, and I guess you could put trash cans, but that could be anywhere. I said the same thing the first time I got there. I was like, why is everyone skating here? There's nothing here. The ground isn't even smooth. It's like, you know, whatever ground, but it's just that intersection of all these streets coming into one spot where people are always just walking by, and uh, it was just like a central location like where people would pass on their way to like down St. Mark's or up to Union Square and and uh, it was just like a hub and there was like an empty parking lot there too so you could just kind of chill there before that big Chase Bank was there like we'd just hang out in this empty parking lot and you know you could roll dice you could smoke drink do whatever you want skate talk to girls there's always girls walking by they're always like going here and there so there's there's always someone like to meet up with or or that you'll run into and your night could just go anywhere you know Mm. yeah the lower side seems kind of like a central meeting place because whether people be in every different borough, you know, even in terms of graffiti writers, like you just meet up with yeah. them, they all know where to go essentially. Like you just meet up on the same block. And the lower, lower east side at that time, like around what they call Hell Square now, was like Max Fish was there back then, but it was like the biggest, like known intersection to score heroin at the time. There was like all these drug dealers running, running shit off the rooftops with like ski masks on, and like we didn't hang out there like we do now. It was the East Village back then. Mm-hmm. And that kind of was kind of where all the young kids and skaters would hang out, either Washington Square. We would never really hang out at Tompkins like we did we do now. But um, yeah, it was Washington Square, Astor, and Union. Those are the spots. And it was just like you just kind of knew like that's where the cool kids are hanging out. You know, like if there's a party to go to, you'll find out by going there. You don't you don't know like by looking at your phone. You know, mm-hmm. and that was another rad thing about skating. I was like, yeah, now you know what tricks been done back then. You would hear like stories of stuff that like happened and no one documented. You know. Yeah, like uh, you talk about like the the drug dealers in that area. <laughs> um, that's that era was known for being a lot more violent. Uh, had a lot more violent crime in New York, and people would hear the words like New York and be like, "Oh shit, it's a crazy, crazy place. Lots of crime." Yeah. Did that influence <clears throat> the skating or the group of skaters or the community at all? I heard about, you know, everyone's heard about all the stories about the banks and how there'd be fistfights there. People would get their boards stolen. There was just kind of a crazy place to skate. When when I uh, started going to the Brooklyn Banks when it was still open, yeah, it, it really wasn't like crazy anymore. And that like, it was just like, it was already past that point. So it's been past that point for a while. So um, how was it when it was like that? 
Well, for me, you know, I came out there in like the mid 90s after like the 93 Banks contest where like those dudes got into a fight and like I knew all the stories of, you know, people getting getting their boards stolen. The first time I skated there in like early 95, I was told like, whatever you do when you come here, you know, I was like a 15 year old kid. They're like, just skate the whole time. Don't like sit down on your board. And if someone asks you to use your board, don't let them ride it. Just keep skating. So no one will ask you to like use your board. And coming here from the suburbs, you know, it was like, this was a big city, but I'd also visited San Francisco, where the scene on EMB I thought was pretty was pretty crazy. I went to Los Angeles and skated, you know, the, not the Los Feliz schoolyard, the Lockwood schoolyard, mm. which was pretty crazy too, you know, like, so everywhere to me was an eye opener, because I was a young kid, just, you know, culture shock, like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the biggest city in the world now, and I'm on my own finally for the first time, like everything is new. I have the freedom to do everything I want, but... I have my life savings, which is my VX3 on my back <laughs> <laughs> that I only, you know, that was like my prized possession. I was taking that everywhere. But I, I was lucky to have like, you know, good like skaters with me that I felt safe around, you know. And um, yeah, people were looking after me. Like I could I could leave my bag down and I know that like everyone's looking Every, after my yeah. bag because your footage is in that bag. Like if, if someone takes that, like no one's getting filmed, you know, so mm -hmm. people were definitely like looking after me. How was the banks? Uh, do you remember your first time going there? Yeah, very well. These I remember these two brothers got into a fight. I okay. So here's a story. I sk I was skating for that company in New Jersey, and then we're we're taking a trip to New York City. It was me, Jimmy Chung, Lenny Kirk, and Anthony Correa, and we call up Steve Rodriguez. He he was on the same team, and he's like, okay, so you're gonna get off the path train, look for the twin towers, and like, just walk towards them, and I'll meet you. And I'll find you, don't worry. And like, I, I heard stories about, oh, Steve Rodriguez is this big, gnarly dude. They call him Conan. <laughs> and I'm this little kid, like, looking for some, like, big, gnarly dude. We all get off the train, and I see Steve coming at me, and he's got his big, beady eyes, like, looking at me, kind of smiling. And I thought he was, like, crazy. Like, oh, that's him. <laughs> he took us to his house, and, like, then, yeah, we, took, we went skating down to the banks. And that was the first time I remember, like, just, like, keep up with Steve. You know, he, he was looking after us. He wasn't, like, flying flying away from us or nothing but like yeah he told us like if you're skating the banks keep skating you know don't don't sit down and of course someone tried to yeah someone wanted to ride my board i was like no i'm using i'm gonna i'm about to start filming my friend and then when i started filming my friend oh film this film that and i remember seeing javier nunez there back then and i already knew who he was because his his wheels of fortune was out by the time and i was filming lenny kirk who i think might have known javier somehow and uh yeah i i got a shot of javier like, I remember I was filming him on the wall. I was like, hey, like, film a trick over the wall. And he's like, no, I'm good. Like, and then Maurice Key comes up. And he's like, hey, is, is it cool if I, like, watch my tape and your camera? And I remember, like, dude, I only have, like, two batteries on me. I want to go filming all night. And I was like, dude, I don't, I don't, I don't know where you're, I don't know who this guy is. I don't want, I don't want your dirty tape in my camera. <laughs> like, you only have, a, like, a little bit of battery juice left. And then, like, three years later, I'm looking at that footage like, well, that was Maurice coming up to me, who I ended up filming a lot of stuff with when I ended up moving here a year later. That's funny. Like, yeah, that was the first time I skated the banks. And I saw these two brothers, like twin brothers, get into a fight. And I remember that vividly because I hadn't seen too many fights like that growing up, you know, like not at like skate spots like that. I'd seen a few, but not like, boom, this is New York City, be on your toes. Like, oh, yeah, this is it. Like, this is just another day at the banks. Like, my first day there. One of, uh, I think one of the first times I went there, it was my, with my friend Abdiel. And we didn't know any spots in all of New York, but we knew about the Brooklyn Banks. We knew yeah. about the Brooklyn Banks and Flushing Meadows okay. and nothing else. So I was like, yo, mom, you have to drive us here. They, <laughs> they made like a tech deck thing of the banks. Yes. So I, I was like, that. this is like the, the spot. 
It was like freezing cold winter, absolutely like as cold as it gets in yeah. in, in the winter. And uh, me and my friend Abdiel went, and it was like straight up like nine a.m. And I think uh, Five Borough was doing a photo shoot there. Okay. But the only person who was there uh, like early to set it up was Steve Rodriguez. Okay. And I didn't know who he was. And um, w- me and Abdiel went. And he came up to us and he's like, what are you guys doing here? Because it was freezing. Okay. And we were like, we're just here to skate. We were wearing like flannels. And he got so pumped. He's like, yo, stay right, here. stay right here. I'll be right back. And I'm like, okay. He leaves, comes back with two two absolutely huge uh, black trash bags filled with uh, Volcom, Fibro, Amazing. Nike, um, all, all the stuff, uh, Zoo York. And we thought we were like rich. Yeah. Yeah. We were like super young and I was like, it's over. Like, this is all I could have asked for. And it was like such a crazy memory. That's, that's amazing. And it was like the air, like you'd breathe and it would just, you would see it. It was freezing. And, and then I saw him skate, like he would come down and do the biggest wall ride, like yeah. backside, like get super high on that shit. And I was like, how can anyone, how the fuck can you do, you know what I mean? Like get that high on that wall. It didn't even make sense. Um, but yeah, it was like a very fond memory of mine. And I went to, um, Back to the banks. I think it was 2011. It was the last one they had. Yeah. And honestly, I was thinking about it. And I was like, yo, you were probably there. I was there. And it was like the energy that was at, like, that was there was, like, so insane. And maybe it was because I was super little kid. But I feel like it's, like, gone. Like, it's There's something like it's about being under that bridge. You know, it's, like, it's the massive brick sculpture. You're in New York City. But it's, like, this weird part of New York City that not a lot of people really know about. Like, most people come here and they're like, where's the banks? Like, oh, you go down there? Like, there's no stores down there. There's nothing, you know? But it's surrounded. It's, like, right by Seaport. It's right by, Ch- by like, Chinatown and the courthouse. But people, like, kind of don't really go down there. And when you're down there, it's, like, kind of just skaters and BMXers. It's, like, if you're down there, you're, like, either lost looking looking on, like, how to get to, the, to walk over the bridge or you're, like, there because, you know, it's the banks. What do you think it does to, like, the New York City skateboarding scene to have a spot like that really be gone? Well, skaters are adaptable. You know, now we're always going to find like the next spot to go to. Right now, I think it's LES Skate Park or Tompkins, you know. But uh, yeah, it's too bad that it's not like a natural spot, even though my favorite part of the banks, the little banks, have been gone for a long time. I've never been a really big fan of the big banks anyway. The the little ones meaning like the ones where you go over the Jersey Barrier? Go over the Jersey Barrier around the planner. That was my favorite place to skate. And then... um, but yeah, just having a monumental spot like that with so much history, mm-hmm. you know, just having that gone. I mean, I guess you just kind of have to know that era. And, I'm, you know, we're all lucky to have been a part of that. And I see like all these skaters coming up now like, oh, I never got to skate the banks. I'm like, oh, I can't believe you never got that. That's too bad. <laughs> Did you film there at all when, it, it, you know, like a few years ago it reopened for like, it was like going, coming and going, coming and going. Did you, f- did you go there? Did you film there at all or do I anything did. like that? Yeah, I did. Um, it's funny, like, we stumbled upon the hole in the fence. Like, we were skating by, and we're like, wait, there's people skating. Like, oh, there's a hole right here. And like, we filmed this thing. Some of my footage was, like, on Fox News and Transworld and all this stuff. And then we got kicked out. The cops said, like, oh, yeah, if you're posting this, like, let them know. Like, we're going to lock this up and give tickets. But people kept skating there for another, like, three weeks or, or so. And then I just found out the other day, like, oh, so-and-so is the guy who cut that hole in the, in the bank's. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's me. I was wondering who did. Props to whoever did that. And we all got away with it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think about the fact that, uh, you know, the full-length video is kind of like 
it's not a complete thing of the past because there are still companies yeah. doing it, but they're doing it in kind of a different way. Um, whereas before it was like the thing, even when I started skating, like it was, people were still doing full length videos yeah. like, like, like high fully flared or America state gold yeah. circuit. It's time. Like those were all videos that, you know, I kind of came up on and it was a big deal to me. Yeah. It was a big deal to be able to see those things and really study them, uh, is the best word for it. Like yeah. you're going to remember every single thing. Whereas now with, with, uh, Instagram, the way that it is. I don't, I don't even remember what the last skate trick I saw and I've seen Matt of them, but I just don't remember them. Yeah. Um, so you as someone who made these full lengths and it was a way bigger part of your life than it was for most people. What do you, what do you think about that? About the current state of? Yeah. Why, how, yeah. Just are. the current state of that, I how it happened. I've said it a bunch of times because, but yeah, like there are advantages and disadvantages, you know? And I think that for the, us that have been a part of that older generation that appreciate the full length video and the, the value of like waiting for the video to get to your friend's house, sit or, and all your friends sit around and have a physical copy. You got to put it in push play and everyone watches it at the same time. Like I just watched the polar video for the, the other day. And I know Pontus Alva is definitely like a part of that era that knows what's up with like the value of a full length video and respect for him just for still putting that out. And uh, the advantages of just like the Instagram era is like, it's so easy yeah. to get something seen. It's so easy for people in the middle of nowhere to like make a living, you know, riding a skateboard or being known about their skills on a skateboard without having to fly to New York City to film with me or go to LA to film with Ty Evans or whatever. And uh, everyone's everyone's a filmer, but there's there's so much more content and the value of a of a trick could either like be seen and heard in one week or you know you know some of those things are definitely uh remembered you know for months and months like people are talk about Tyshawn's tricks for for years you know even some of the instagram clips yeah well, he's doing something insane. oh yeah but that's another thing you see these people like Tyshawn and daywan throwing instagram clips out that are like enders you know <laughs> yeah. you're like damn that's like i can't believe like that's just your instagram part like you know clip like guy mariano all his instagram clips i'm like that could i could watch all these clips put together which i'm sure someone's mm -hmm. edited together as like could be like my favorite video part that came out this year mm -hmm. yeah, i mean the, one of the biggest positives i could imagine is the standard of clips you know like the things kids are pushing nowadays are kids are so insane good. you know what i mean like they're not yeah. they're almost like skipping the beginner phase just going straight to like what's going on you know? i saw that happening a while ago when like right when street league and x games were a thing where like you'd show up to a skate park and you see some kids that like couldn't push, but they're trying to like tray flip down the eight set or like a kid that can't do a front side board slide, but he's trying to kick flip 50, the flat bar. And uh, I mean, that's the level that these kids are progressing. They see that that's possible and that like, oh, that's what I have to do because that's what other kids are doing. And mm -hmm. when I was growing up, too, I was I always gravitated watching the videos of kids that were my age. They're like, oh, he's young like me. Like I like, you know that's how good I should be if he's my age, you know, there is something to be said though, about like that type of skating. That's just like simple, but they're doing it like perfect. They're doing it with like a lot of style and perfect meaning like not, it's not perfect. Um, and I feel like that's something that comes across a lot in the videos of like New York mixtape, yes. for example, like they're doing shit that like is, is like simple stuff, but it's done very well. And I think it's like, it's like the basics mastered in a way, like you're doing it with so much style. Like I would rather, watch that than um like a kickflip smith front side flip out like i don't really care about that to be honest with you like that's not why i feel like at least then 
a lot of people skated for. Like, it's not about who's going to do the most, like, video game-esque trick. More so, like, I guess about, like, style and, and finesse. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do you think that the, the type of person who gets into skating now has changed a little bit with the coming of Street League? And and it's more it's way more accepted in society now, like, yeah. drastically. I, I definitely think that the way what people gravitate to towards in skateboarding now, what people want to see is stuff that's relatable stuff that's accessible stuff that like you know i could do that too you know it's not it's something that will make it look fun like i always liked the video that i would put in and after like i'm done watching the video like oh i'm excited now let's go let's go skate let's go like try some tricks or whatever when some videos you watch you're just like whoa that was intense like i can't believe you just grinded that you know quadruple kink you know down the side of a mountain like that doesn't make (laughs) me want to skate you know like but like that was a stunt and, but a lot of the criticism that mixtape got in the 90s, I remember hearing was like, there's just so many 50-50s and 180s. Like, where's like the big rails and like the, or the technical stuff, you know? And I thought that too. I was like, yeah, you're right. There's, there are a lot of 50-50 grinds and 180s, like basic tricks. And, but that stuff has been timeless. That's, you know, it's still like the video people are talking about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those other innovative videos, I don't know. I'm sure people are talking about them too, but. Yeah, that's one thing that kind of just stood the test of time. You know, it's like keep it simple. Just as long as it looks good and you look comfortable on your board, that's what matters, you know. How did your uh, your time at Zoo York uh, come to its end? You were there for, for 21 years, right? Yeah, I mean, I was there for longer than all of the founders, <laughs> longer than like anyone, most people that would work for a company would work for without owning a part of it. <laughs> and I had the best time, like, you know, for so many years making videos that I wanted to make and traveling the world and me- meeting like amazing people. And then, you know, I was, I was doing okay with like Instagram and Vine and, and, you know, Twitter and like getting constant updates. But I lost like, I lost like the passion to create something I really cared about. I felt like I was just pumping out videos like a machine. Like this is a, a factory. We have Zoo York. So we have to film in New York city with these same guys in these same spots. And in, we have to put out another two videos this year and it has to be better than the video we did last year and all that that pressure and i just realized i was burnt i was like you know what i've i've made the best videos i've already made like i still wrote it out for a while because i was having fun and i was you know able to support myself here in the city and uh just realized at one point you know if i don't change like i gotta you know i'm you know i'm gonna be doing this for the rest of my life which I kind of thought I was going to be doing, I was like, I'm going to be 50 years old, hopping fences with teenagers, watch this. And then luckily, (laughs) luckily I started getting all these little jobs with like Nike and stuff, like doing little internal videos and social, you know, commercial like shortcuts. And then the internet took off and my workflow like started blowing up. And a lot of the skaters were kind of bummed on me because I was like dividing my time now. I was like, I'm the full-time New York director of video production but we have another filmer because I'm not out on the streets all the time and I'm doing all these other video jobs. And then I realized I was just burnt. You know, I didn't want to hear it anymore. Like that the video isn't good enough and we have to do a better video next year. The same city. I was just tired. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, you know what? Yeah, let's hang it up. <laughs> it became more of like a, like a force thing. It wasn't really a force thing. Like I remember like having the talk with the brand manager at the time and then we're like, you know what? Let's, let's like fizzle your way out. You know, like, we did the, we did our last team video, but these two other guys you've been working on parts with, let's just finish up their two parts and then this his part will be your last part. And I remember already by the time I was filming that second part, like I had my LLC form, I, I had like a website up, I I had like work coming in, and I knew I was going to be all right. 
Mm. And I ended up being better. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I didn't do this long, longer ago, you know? But, and it's all like, is it all within like skating or s- stuff that has come through skating? Like how does that? Almost every project has come through skating, but none of it, I mean, no, no, not a lot of it isn't like skate related, but it'll be like, we want that skate feel to it. Or there'll be skating in it, or it'll be like, oh, I know you because I watched all the four-in-one videos back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens all the time. So how has it been? Because uh, I, I went on your website and I was looking and you've done like stuff. Like, of course, a lot of people know you for the New York mixtape and for all these videos and capturing that time period. Um, but you've also done like a lot of like what people would consider more pro work. It's like really it's like cinematography shit, you know, like real, real shit like that. So how has it been? That was just all through film school, film school. Yeah, I mean, well, film school, definitely. The best thing about that was moving to New York City, meeting all the people I, I was, I'm still friends with today. And just being here on my own, knowing what I wanted to do, I was focused. I knew, like, I want to make skate videos. I was making skate videos at school, you know? And then just, like, the technology changed, you know? It's just all the connections I made. That's that's kind of what kept it going. And, like, staying staying on top of, like, you know, what what's going on, what people are filming with. And uh, my production looks very professional, but it's very like guerrilla skate related. And I'll deal with with these like huge agencies, and they're like, "Oh, you're gonna do this all by yourself? Like, oh, and you're you're only, you only cost this much? Oh, and you're gonna fly your drone? Don't we need like a permit and this and that?" I'm like, "I'm gonna get the shot. You know, they're gonna, by the time like I get caught, or you know, the drone will be down. I'll have the shot. We'll be, we'll be fine. You know, like." I ask for, uh, you know, forgiveness, not for permission is what I say. And I love hiring young skaters or young, like, people that get what it, what it takes to, like, make a skate video. Those are the guys I want on my crew, like, rather than, like, some older, you know, like, union guy that, like, is going to say, no, I can't do this, I can't do that. All the skaters that I hire, like, on my shoots, they, like, they'll find a way to get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not going to tell me no. They're going to say, like... We can't do this, but we'll we'll get it done this way, or like we'll or we'll find a way to do it, you know. So you said you you feel like you're better off now. So you are you more satisfied with how things are now? I mean, I wish I was still making skate videos. I, I was having so much fun. I wish I could still like you know, go on trips, and I didn't have like the responsibilities I have you know now because I see like all these fun places to go that I didn't get a chance to go to, like Copenhagen and like all these you know skate events that. Look, you know, I would have been out in my heyday for sure. But now, like, I love that I'm not bored doing what I'm doing. I'm always on something new. Like, there's always, like, a new project every, you know, other week. Like, I'm on on something different. And that keeps it fresh. That keeps me going because, yeah, I don't like doing the same thing all the time. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought, like, let's say in the 90s when you were choosing videography as, like, a primary career or, like, attending film school, did you ever think that, it wasn't a realistic thing before the internet really exploded. Did you think that it was kind of more like almost a hobby that you wouldn't, you know, be well off later in the future? I mean, I thought it was a hobby before I even applied to NYU. You know, I was just making skate videos of the local crew at the time. And when my parents brought up that opportunity to like, do you want to go to film school? Do you want to go to NYU instead of like studying actuarial science? I was like, yeah, that's something I'd much rather do. Right then is when I took it seriously. Hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to like make skate videos until I can't walk and then I'll get into commercials or you know music videos. I I really wanted to do music videos back then because there was a big budget doing them back in the days. And uh, like I'll, you know, just get my creative juices flowing that way. But it was always through skateboarding. Why do you think that uh, 
not just Zoo York, but in particular Zoo York, and a lot of these companies, as time has passed, have changed so much. Do you think it's because just that's what happens when like bigger business gets into skateboarding? Or do you think it's because what skaters like is changing, so companies have, have to change with it? Not saying that that's what Zoo York was doing, but, uh, you know, obviously that company changed immensely. Like, when I first... Obviously, like, you know, Zoo York mixtape came out way before I started skating. Yeah. So when I saw Zoo York, I didn't, I was like, oh, it's whatever company. And then later, my friend put me on to Zoo York mixtape and I was like, yo, what the fuck happened? Um, how did this happen? And who made this decision? And who's, <laughs> what is going on? And then you start seeing that with a bunch of companies, um, not just within skating either, that have just changed so much. And some of these decisions that are being made from like a fan's perspective, you're like, it's heartbreaking. Yo, we know. Who's making this choice? Obviously, we don't like this. So what are you doing? And someone's getting paid to make this choice? So yeah, what do you have to say about that? And why do you think it happens? I mean, it's it's a shame when, you know, I mean, obviously, I have a soft spot in my heart for the original Zior crew and that whole era of things. And yeah, when you see like money change hands and change decisions and like new people are in charge that have no idea what what it's about. They just know what numbers are and like what sells in certain department stores. And that's what oh, well, this sells good for this brand. We're only spending this much money marketing them. Why are we spending all this money on a skateboard team when their sales are only this high? Like, let's let's switch it up. Let's get rid of the skate team is the first thing. That's the biggest expense, you know? They, Yeah, for those that don't get it, like, more power to the people that are the real owners, you know, that, we're all, that we were all making the money for, and more respect for everyone that left and started doing their own thing and have kept, kept like, their, you know, their strong will and, stayed true to their, you know, to their roots and everything. Because after a certain point, you get burnt. And if a lot of money is offered to you to walk away, like there's there's a price that most people will probably take. Yeah. And you have to make a living and look out for yourself, look out for your family. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? Just stay core forever. And then, yeah. Or you could be you could just sell that, walk away and start something else. Yeah. And make it a passion project that that project was when you first started it. You know, like everybody's brand was a labor of love when you first started. Like, mm -hmm. Not expecting to like have the opportunity to sell it for, you know, all this money. But then once you sell it, there's repercussions. And yeah, that's that's business though. Yeah, it is crazy to see. Like uh, a lot of the shoe companies in particular that I was hyped on, even today, like maybe they exist, but they're nowhere near as popular. And now people are primarily skating like two or three shoes. And like, to me, I'm, I'm accustomed to it and I think it's fine. But it's just so crazy how things can change. It makes me wonder what will happen in the next 20 years or 20 years after that, how, how different the scene could be. Like you see this picture of like, especially in California, like the skateboarders of they're like doing front slashes on a pool with crazy attitude and like some flannel. And they look like they look like gang members. And like there's just like a lot of it's a different thing. Then a few generations go by. Now there's another style. A few generations goes by. Now there's another style. And shit really changes. It makes yeah. me wonder, like, could skating ever become, like, a baseball or, like, a lacrosse just with mainstream sports and shit like that, you know? I feel like they've already tried to do that with the Olympics and everything, and the answer's been no, it can't. You can't make it that because mm -hmm. everyone's going to have their own different take on it, you know? Even though there's stuff like Street League, not everybody plays on the same basketball court, you know? Mm -hmm. do, do you still feel that love uh, for New York? seeing as it's changed so much uh, that you felt when you first got here and it was like the place that you wanted to be. Um, you know, you still live here and probably a bunch of your life is centered around here. Do you still feel that way? I do. I do still feel that way. And I feel like the city's been more and more amazing, especially over the last like two, three years. 
and I'm really hyped on like the new generation of kids that are here holding it down now. They remind me of our crew back in the 90s, but they're even more DIY and more creative and more accepting of things that we like turned our, a blind eye to back in the day. I, I, I do love the city. And I always question like, man, I've spent so much money to live in a small place with the worst weather. And I've been all around the country. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. You know, like I think if I left New York City, I'm going to leave the country and move like overseas somewhere. Mm. But for now, like, yeah, it's the best place to be. What are your um, what are your thoughts on having like a child in the city nowadays? You know, because some could argue that it's I don't know if you turn on the news, it's almost like it's on fire every day. So many crimes happening. So what are your thoughts on I mean, uh, that's the problem with the news? And that's like what my family sees. They watch the news and think like the first thing they think is, are, are you guys OK in the city? I saw this is happening and it's never that bad, you know. And before I had my kid, I was like, New York City is going to be the hardest place to like raise a kid like thank God I don't have a kid because I get to still live in New York City. Like, I couldn't raise a kid here, like, in the winter and this and that. And now that I'm raising a kid here, I think this is the best place to have a kid. And it's like, so it, there are things that are hard, but there's there's a lot of things that are so easy, like, to expose them to all these cultures and foods and, like, people and experiences are, like, right at right outside of our doorstep when, like, you live in California or Texas, you have to, like, drive so far to, like, see everything but other than that you're like stuck in your home and that's like all you kind of know as a kid is your block we're here like you can just like kids grow up so fast here and see so much culture at such a young age and i've seen it in my two-year-old already he's amazing like he eats all types of foods and loves all types of music and is open to like any type of person like loves everyone and and kids that are sheltered like don't get to experience that you know yeah i've noticed that even um like in my nieces you know that i have because you could argue that you know, these kids are growing up so quickly that it's a problem almost because they're essentially like grownups at the age of like 17, 18 with this mindset, you know, of yeah. having all these experiences. But at the same time, it's also a positive thing, I feel, because I feel like the more sheltered your kid is from experiences, the more they want to experiment, experiment and rebel, you know, and try like things that could potentially ruin their life, you know, so. I've seen that happen because I, I grew up in the suburbs where like it was a privileged neighborhood where we were like 40 minutes outside of the city. So all the kids there had money and nothing to do. And like, that's where like trouble happens. Yeah. You know? That's when you start doing mad drugs. Cause yeah, you're born all you do is do drugs and have, and have sex at such a young age. And you know, you have you, like all these kids are having kids and like are going to rehab before they even get a chance to go to college, you know? And, uh, I had a lot of friends growing up in the suburbs that that happened to. And luckily when I was like about to go into high school, like I was in the eighth grade, we moved from that suburb, closer to downtown Houston and, I've, and I discovered the skate park and that was like my safe haven. And I stayed out of trouble by like going to the skate park. There was a lot of trouble to be had there, but I was a young kid and I didn't want to get into that trouble. I was like, I just wanted to skate. Yeah, I, I didn't need to drink or do drugs or anything. So how much, college happened. <laughs> how much has uh, having a child changed your life? Has it changed you as a person or your outlook on the world? Oh yeah. I mean, you guys don't have kids, so you'll, you don't know, but once you do have a kid, it's the, it's the hardest thing, but the most rewarding thing ever. And all these things that I cared about that were so important to me before, like, don't matter at all. You know, I don't have FOMO. I don't feel like I'm, I'm missing out if so-and-so is in town. And, you know, if I don't if I don't get to see him this time, you know, like, you know, there's events and stuff. Like, if I, I'm so happy just, like, being at home with a kid, mm -hmm. you know. And then when I do get to go out and skate, like, it's it's a lot more special to me because I'm like, oh, I only got, like, until until bedtime and then I got to get back and get on my duties you know 
So your life is like centered around, uh, you know, just being a father. And thank God my kid is the best kid ever. Like if he was like a little brat that like we're having a hard time with, I might think differently, but we're, we're really lucky that our kid is like the coolest and super easy. And yeah. Do you have, do you have any, like as a father, do you have any like preconceptions or things that you want or are you more just whatever happens, happens? He's already surpassed my expectations. So I just want to nurture him with whatever he's into and, uh, you know, just give him the opportunity to try everything once. And if he doesn't want to try it, cool, but it's there if he does and whatever he gravitates towards, I want to provide a platform for him to like succeed in, you know, and I got him a skateboard. I got him a scooter. I got him a basketball. All he wants to do is read books and like listen to music right now. So we'll see what he's into. <laughs> that's, am- that's amazing. Honestly, I'm super hyped to hear that. And I hope <laughs> yeah. it keeps going. I feel like I see on your Instagram and stuff, like you have a lot of passion for this and something that you really care about. And I feel like it's just going to go good. You know what I mean? And uh, it's interesting to hear about your your perspective of uh, raising a child in New York City and how that's the best. Because I always hear about a lot of people who move out of the city to raise their child. That's what I saw a lot, too. And that's why I always thought, like, thank God I don't have a kid because I'm living in New York City and like I'm all about me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I do what I want when I want. And I remember talking to Hamilton Harris and he was like, you know, it sounds crazy. It sounds hard, but you just make it happen. And that's what happened. Like we, it happened during the pandemic and I, I was like, oh, we're like, I'm screwed. But thank God that like, I didn't have to go to work and raise a kid. I got to stay home and just like take care of him, watch him grow up and, you know, hang out with his, with his mom. And, uh, yeah, everything worked out mm-hmm. and it was like, it wasn't easy, but it was like, yeah, we did it. And I didn't think, you know, I was really prepared for like the strongest battle, like the toughest battle and I see all my friends that have kids and I never see them anymore and I always thought like oh like that's gonna happen to me if I have a kid you'll never see me again and yeah I don't go out like I used to anymore but I still find time you know and I'm not I'm not missing out I don't feel like mm-hmm. I have to be out every night like I was when I was younger you know yeah, it's like a, it's like you said earlier the skater's mindset of uh, adapting so just yeah. apply it to other things exactly you know? yeah and now I'm just applying it to fatherhood and yeah, it's been it's been an amazing ride. It's amazing to hear, man. Um, I want to say thank you so much for you know coming on the show and giving us yes. your time. Um, I will say that you know like the videos you produced and in the time period that we were talking about and the way that you recorded it and edited it, it really influenced a lot of people, and it gave, it gave me and my friends you know like honestly something when we were younger to straight up live for and like try to like emulate in a way. So I just want to say thank you for that and. I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that, you know, so thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, that means a lot hearing that still like (laughs) so humbling to me. Like, I can't believe that this many years later, you know, people still talk about it. Absolutely, man. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Immense thank you. Thank you, guys. Peace.